I would say to not be afraid and to talk to people, be that via email or via in person, whatever is your communication style that you prefer. Um, because you can get you can get a long way just by making yourself known. This is Max Q, the podcast by Peabody's Launchpad office dedicated to demystifying what life is like after graduation. Every episode, we sit down with a recent alum to get their take on what life is like for working artists in today's world. Multifaceted careers, time management, finances, finding balance between your work and your life. We explore that and more on the Max Q podcast. This week on Max Q, we're speaking with soprano and arts administrator Mira Wong. Mira has an active career in ensemble and solo work in the Baltimore area, alongside working in administration for various arts presenting and advocacy organizations. Of note, Mira is a 2022 graduate from Peabody and worked at Launchpad as our social media intern. She also received a launch grant for her project, Story to Song. Mira, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Max Q. I'm wondering if you could start out just by telling us a little bit about what your life looks like right now. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So I graduated in 2022, and since then I've been working kind of half as an administrator and half as a freelancer, singing, um, doing all the gigs that I can do. Uh, Currently, I have two administrative jobs, which is too which is a bit too many, (laughs) Um, so trying to reduce that. But I work for the Candlelight Concert Society as their marketing and sales coordinator at the moment, and I also work for Business Volunteers Maryland, which I like to call a glorified dating agency for nonprofits and for-profits. Okay. (laughs) Um, Basically, we have several corporate uh, partners that come to us asking how they can engage with the community and give back to their roots or communities. And so I am in charge of connecting them to nonprofits in need. Fantastic. Um, okay, so let's, let's talk about this, this corporate matchmaking, because I know, <laughs> I feel like a lot of artists are at least somewhat familiar with kind of the more um, artist grant style way of, of getting and attracting funding. But I feel like the, the corporate side of attracting funding is, is completely foreign. So I, I would love to hear some like insight about one, how did you get involved with this organization that does this matchmaking? And then what does that process look like? Yeah, so it's it's been a really interesting adventure for me. I was originally just looking for a place that would kind of get me into the nonprofit world as well as the corporate world because I've always had interest in corporate stuff but don't really know how it works. It, like many musicians, I think it's like this distant alien concept. Um, but I've worked with a lot of nonprofits for admin. I did a gap year after my undergrad working for a nonprofit school. I've worked for the Candlelight Concert Society, which is also a nonprofit. I've worked in a lot of academ- academic jobs. So I knew that it's like that was something that I could offer to a company it was okay look at all my nonprofit experience um, but then I wanted a place that would also connect me to the corporate world and this job I just found it on Indeed and I saw I saw their website and was like oh this sounds really interesting I'll apply and they happened to really like me so that's kind of how I ended up there 
Um, to answer your question in terms of how it works, I've discovered that it is unfortunately not as arts related as I was hoping because there are hundreds of nonprofits in Baltimore. I believe the stat that I was told is that there are the most nonprofits in a single city in the entire country in Baltimore. Um, that sounds like both something to be proud of and something to be a little worried about. <laughs> yes, I would say. Um, and so what we do at my company is we engage in three different main kinds of volunteerism. There's direct volunteerism, pro bono consulting, and board matching. So for board matching, it's kind of, as you would expect, we kind of help interested corporate folk get to nonprofits that they might be interested in and can contribute to. That's mostly where we would see arts organizations because, I mean, all nonprofits need more board members, but the arts ones are kind of easiest in that particular case. For pro bono consulting, we often have business challenges that are kind of submitted via application uh, to us, and then we'll match them up with corporate groups that have various skill sets in finance, in fundraising, in all of these various things. And then we put them through a guided brainstorming session, which is fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then for the direct volunteering, it's oftentimes we get a corporate ask, we're doing a day of service in the community, tell us where to go to. We need to send out 180 volunteers, or as I'm currently working on, 290 volunteers in one day. So. That's oftentimes, unfortunately, because it's the dates are set by corporate folk, um, there's oftentimes we have to work with food banks or shelters or places where they constantly need volunteers rather than something event-based, which is what most of the arts is about. I feel like we spend a lot of time focusing on the administrative side of things. So I, do you want to dig a little bit deeper into kind of what the performing side of things looks like right now? And Yeah, for the performance side of things, I have mostly been doing ensemble singing. Um, I think because I specialize in historical performance, I am more attracted to chamber music and doing things with groups. I'm not as interested in doing solo stuff, so I haven't actually auditioned for any of the opera companies in this area or any of the stage theater stuff, but I've kind of just been making my way through the church circuit. Um, and that has been surprisingly successful that I, at least I think, <laughs> um, I've been told that it will take like three to five years for a freelancer to make it as a full-time musician, which I don't disbelieve at this point. Um, but I've been surprised by how many connections I've been able to get from just doing things in the church circuit and also flattered and heart and happy by the number of people who are willing to advocate for me and get me gigs without auditions oftentimes because I am a very bad auditioner. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, I'm, now I'm curious to know about like, what is that, that process of getting gigs without auditions? Is that, <laughs> is that something that, you know, you just get an email in the inbox and you respond to it within five minutes as we were just talking about, <laughs> or is it, is it something more like, um, is there some outrage involved? There is some outreach, and I think for me, my strength is that oftentimes why the reason why I say I suck at auditions is because I am a soprano who can sing in straight tone. There are a lot of sopranos that can do that in this area, and so I'm working in a particular subfield that is especially competitive, and I don't necessarily have anything 
stunning or stellar to my voice that I can get across in 10 minutes. And I'm also, I tend to get cold feet as well. So I can be very nervous and mess up my technique in auditions. I think many of us understand that feeling. Um, but what I do rely on more so than my skill in my opinion is how quickly I learn things and how hard I work. And so what has happened for me is that I will be on gigs where I happen to be working with subs or I am subbing for people who are much more well-established in this area and then they're willing to advocate and mention me in various things. Um, I think a particularly exciting one that happened for me was actually in April, I think, and I got a call from the Air Force, uh, the singing sergeants, asking me to sing on their oratorio with like a two weeks advance notice. Um, I happened to be available for it. I got to sing at the Smithsonian with the Air Force as a civilian, which was very cool. And they didn't audition me. They were just like, hey, can you do this? And I and several people recommended you. And I was like, who? I don't know. Um, but <laughs> apparently several people did. <laughs> I feel like we kind of skipped a little bit around the the, the outreach piece because I hear about yes. how like people were, you know, advocating for you. And of course, like you do good work, it gets noticed. And I think that there's always a desire for like reliable performers, right. particularly in the choral scene where there's just a lot of need for last minute people. Yep. Um, but what's the outreach piece look like? The outreach piece for me has been cold emailing. I'm much better at cold emailing than cold auditioning. <laughs> and I'm better at sending reference recordings, and that's something I'm more comfortable with. And I actually spoke with a mentor recently, well, not recently, maybe like five months ago, who was advocating for people to not be afraid to just cold email and send a recording if that's what you're better at, because that's still you. That's still a representation of what you can do. I... I'm going to share an anecdote myself here. I was just talking with a, an opera company I was working with and uh, their executive director had made a post online talking about how um, they have an email address where people can send them materials whenever, whenever. Mm -hmm. um, it, kind of in response to an online post about how you know expensive and ridiculous yeah. opera company auditions have been. And I asked her, you know, like, oh, how many, how many resumes did you get in response to that? And it was not very many. Yeah. Uh, and it, I think it's, it's interesting how these, you know, yeah, the, the overcoming the hump of just sending the email yes. is pretty hard. It is. Okay. Um, so now I want to put you on the spot, but like, why, why do you feel like you're able to send those reference recordings so much more easily than, than getting up and, and presenting the live audition or if there's a variance in that? question that makes more sense to answer? Um, I think for me in general, I am decent at cold emailing because I have a template that I fall back upon. It's not that I don't have a template when it goes to comes to auditioning, but it's also just that I have had more success in emailing and sending a recording than in walking in somewhere and auditioning. What is the experience of writing grants for an institution like? And I come at this also wanting to note that while you were at Peabody, you received a launch grant for a project while you were here. So I'm kind of curious to understand, like, was that experience helpful? Was it like what has changed about, you know, and in, in the learning about creating institutional grants? Yes, um, I think. Winning the launch grant and taking pitching your creative idea was very helpful in terms of just learning 
about how grants are set up. Um, I think also because speaking from experience having TA'd the class as well, I think something that might be very beneficial to pitching your creative idea would be to have more exercises of writing hypothetical grants to multiple organizations. Because that was the main thing I learned on the job for Candlelight is that different organizations ask for very different things. And you still need to be thorough. You still need to do all of your research and use all of their hot button words in order in your narrative, in order to get their attention. And just that practice of taking the time to research and knowing, being able to analyze a web page and seeing, okay, this is what they prioritize. This is how I should tell my story and pitch my idea is invaluable experience. Um, I would also say that I can't, say I have like a ton of grant writing experience even after Candlelight because Candlelight, due to our very small staff, we do hodgepodge grant writing, which means that our operations person does all of our budgets and I do all the narratives. So I haven't actually submitted a full grant proposal with Candlelight, um, as in entirely attributed to me. It's kind of a hodgepodge that everybody works together to pull together the night before the deadline. <laughs> I Well... But that that in and of itself sounds like it's got a, a it's a good experience collaborative <laughs> right yeah yeah there's a collaborative element to that that doesn't sound that bad um, okay I, I do want to kind of circle back around and talk a little bit about um, I mean on the on the performance side one of the things that we were chatting about a little bit when you when you came in before we started recording was I think you have your own ensemble and I'd love to hear a little bit about like what what has that experience been like forming that and what the work is. Yes. Um, so one of the reasons why I'm, I think we're able to have this ensemble is because I have this administrative experience. And that was originally why I started working on admin in the first place coming full circle was that not only am I interested in other things besides performance, I wanted to be able to help create new performances. And so I have an ensemble called Magdalena, and it is a group of five who are all associated with Peabody through various ways. Um, not that we actually market the fact that we're all <laughs> through Peabody, <laughs> um, but, um, but I am their main administrative officer because I'm the one with that skill set. And so I'm kind of in charge of herding all the cats around and making sure we do our rehearsal schedules and trying to get us venues and making sure we get our recordings. And there's been a lot that I've learned on the job of what goes into launching an ensemble because this has been a long time in the making. We actually started this in 2022. Okay, so. great. And, and so did you just start performances recently or? Yeah, so the full timeline essentially is that my classmate Cole, um, is a, was a lutenist here at Peabody, and he got accepted into a master's program at Basel in Switzerland and needed some money in order to make it to Basel. So he asked some friends who were all from Peabody, but different years. So I got to meet some people that um, I had not in, overlapped with, um, but Cole had. And so he asked us, because we were all there that one summer, in 2022, hey, would you play with me for a benefit concert? Like, you're not going to get any of the proceeds, unfortunately, but we can make music together. And so three of us said yes, and we decided we really liked making music together. So we were trying to figure out, okay, well, we don't have an ensemble name, and Cole's going to be off at Masters for whoever knows how long. 
Um, but this is something we would like to put a pin in and get back to. And so it, as it happens, Cole came back earlier than anticipated and was like, let's start the ensemble. So then suddenly it became a whole, okay, what's our name? How do we launch? How do we make a debut concert? What's our debut program? Who are we? Like, what music are we trying to do? What's our mission statement? Oh um, my gosh. Can you, can you like pick one or two of those and, and just talk <laughs> through them a little bit? Yeah. Um, well, I can say that we decided our mission statement was that we do early music because all of us are associated with Peabody's historical performance department. And it's in some ways it's saddening that we can't just be an entire historical department ensemble, like every member of Peabody's historical, um, historical performance department would be so amazing to have in that group. But we also decided to keep it at five because five cooks in the kitchen is already quite a lot. Mm. And adding a sixth cook would be quite a lot. <laughs> Um, so we decided that we would do early music, but we also knew that we didn't want to be, we didn't want to be associated with one type of early music. There were some arguments back and forth of, does it make us more marketable to be in a specific niche or does it make us more marketable to say that we can do all of this stuff and we are versatile and we ended up taking the latter path, even though, I mean, one can argue that early music in of itself is a niche, um, but we decided that we'd like to do some traditional stuff, folk, um, renaissance, medieval, some early Baroque. Due to our instrumental lineup, we probably will never do high Baroque, but um, we've also talked about doing new music because we are all interested in kind of advocating for new music composers. So that was kind of the decision was that we didn't we couldn't choose what niche we wanted to have. And so therefore decided to spin our mission in a way where we are marketable because we're versatile. So coming up with the name of an ensemble was a much more arduous task than I thought it would be. Um, mostly because we had to think about things like SEO ranking. Do other ensembles already have this name? How do we spell this name? Is this a name that's memorable to people? And we had, we spent months, I think, trying to figure out what a good name would be. And also we didn't want a name that would only box us into one place because as I said before, we're trying to be versatile. We're trying to do all sorts of early music. So we didn't want to be something where it was just some very, very obscure early music reference that implied only one kind of thing. And so we talked about Ficta. Ficta would be a great ensemble name, but there are a million Fictas in the world already. <laughs> so then we were like, well, what do we do? I guess come up with some random good sounding name that people can spell. And um, that was another thing. We didn't want to name in a different language because that is a common thing for many early music ensembles. But we find that a lot of people who aren't as well-versed in early music don't know how to spell those names or don't know how to pronounce them or mispronounce them. Um, I've seen this at Candlelight quite a bit where we have currently an ensemble in our lineup where no one knows how to pronounce their name, which is pretty sad. Um, so that's those were all these things that we wanted to consider. And so eventually we had names and names and names and names and we just couldn't figure out which one to go with. And so it happened we were trying to be too clever at times. We were trying to be punny at times. We were trying to come up with something really memorable. And so one of our members decided to go to her non-musician husband 
and just give him all the names of all of our ensembles. And the only one he remembered was Magdalena the next day. So we decided to go with Magdalena. What a great test. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a fail safe. <laughs> awesome. I want to come back around to something that really stood out to me about, um, you were talking about one of the reasons that you pursued these administrative um, jobs was because you wanted to be in a position where you could create more performance opportunities. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious if you could talk about, was there a moment when that kind of realization about connecting those two things happened or was it something that happened at, kind of over time through, through the work that you were doing um, for Candlelight or somewhere else? Yeah, I honestly think it happened in, I believe it was 2021, and I was in a mentorship program called Talks with Tenet, which is, Tenet is an early music program in New York, um, and they do a mentorship program. It's free for mentees. I highly recommend um, to participate in it, but my first semester that I was in that program, I was also in the same cohort as Ross Tamacho, who is in this area. And Ross and I also used to sing together in 2020. We were at the same church. So I already knew who he was. And one time we were just walking back from church and he had mentioned, oh, I want to start this group. And I asked him like, oh, what do you want to like, what kind of group? Tell me more about this. And he was kind of explaining what he had in mind and also kind of lamenting or commenting on the difficulties of how hard it is to put that kind of thing together and finding people who can do that, but also understand the situation because they're artists. Um, And it occurred to me as he was talking, oh, I can do a lot of these things. And I also do understand how artists work and musicians work. So I do like doing administration. Like this seems like a good match for me. I think that everybody has some amount of that impulse. And, and what are the, the skills that you think people need to be able to, to spin up an ensemble? And what, what are the places that you feel like if they are trying to do that, they should focus on first? I would say you definitely need to know how to organize things and to manage your time. I think that's the most important thing is just figuring out how do you schedule? How do you figure out all of these meetings? I've definitely had growing pains with the ensemble in terms, with Magdalena as an ensemble, in terms of how we communicate and how we make decisions as an ensemble. And these are some things where you sometimes as an administrative officer, you need to know when you have the power to say yes for the ensemble and when you don't, because especially when you're early in the group, you want to make sure everything is approved by everyone. But at the same time, if you wait for everything to be approved by everyone, you're going to lose a lot of chances because you're waiting for somebody to say yes to somebody else to say yes. And it just becomes a long trail that becomes too long. And then you get an ask from somebody else and then you can't get a response in time. Right. There's, it's hard to get a five-minute email response when there are five people. Exactly. So that's one thing is organizing like how you communicate with the ensemble and organizing timeliness of priorities because there are a lot of small tasks that you have to do and kind of learning how to figure out how to keep the ensemble as a whole um as a whole updated on what's happening, but also making sure that nobody is getting swamped with irrelevant information to them. 
Um, so I would say, I guess that all goes under the umbrella of organization. <laughs> and I would say communication, obviously, is another really important one, as I've kind of already alluded to. There's just being able to com communicate not just with your ensemble members, but also with people that might be able to give you opportunities, concert presenters, venues, ideally funders, not that I've talked to any funders at this point in time, those kinds of things. And then I would say kind of a long communication, having very good writing skills really helps. <laughs> it's one of those things that very rarely hurts. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. You brought up, I think, a little bit earlier in our conversation, um, contact with, with mentors that you'd had and just conversations and how that had kind of helped with, I forget exactly what it was we were talking about, but um, I'd love to just hear a little bit about what kind of a role mentors have played in, in, um, in your career thus far. And I think Particularly, we, I mean, one thing you mentioned was about how uh, Dr. Forshee, um, director of Launchpad, kind of, you know, passed along an opportunity. Um, but are there, you know, other ways in which you feel like you interact or have maintained and um, have really valuable mentor relationships? Yeah, I think I have had, I've been lucky to have a lot of very wonderful mentors in my life, even long before I came to Peabody. Um, I still keep in touch with many of my mentors from undergrad and they will watch my concerts and help me with lots of wonderful things. Um, I would say that as everybody is trying to improve constantly, I could definitely stand to contact my mentors a lot more. Um, it's not something that comes to me naturally. It's the kind of thing where I have to actively say, tell myself I'm going to invite so-and-so to my concert or I'm going to tell so-and-so that I did make it past this audition so that they remember me. And actually, I had mentioned the Talks with Tenet um, program, and I did it for two semesters. In my second semester, I did it with uh, my mentor was Rex Mobley. And he had told me, he had asked me who my connections were, and I had mentioned several people because I've sung at this point in the ensemble world of Baltimore long enough to know a lot of the famous quote unquote, people in this area. And he told me, he's like, oh my God, you have so many important people in your network. Go get coffee with them. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't like doing that. I'm scared. I'm shy. Um, and so it took me, <laughs> it took me a couple of weeks, as I remember, to actually send out an email. I think my, I think my first victim was Edmund Milley. <laughs> um, and being like, can I ask you about things <laughs> in life? Um, and he was super sweet and super open about it. And I should do that more often. It does not come naturally to me, but. There's another good example of somebody starting up an ensemble and getting yeah. it rolling. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that cool. was actually where I got a lot of help from starting Magdalena was through talking to Edmund. Edmund and the Polythonists. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah. Good connection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, so we're kind of winding down. I'm, I'm curious if there's anything you mentioned. You've got obscure book book recommendations coming out of your Instagram, but are there any things that you're currently reading or listening to that you, you know, want to talk about right now that you feel like would be relevant or just interesting? I have been reading "Before the Coffee Gets Cold" by Toshikawa. I don't remember his last name. It's a 
style. It's a series of vignettes. Um, and it's Japanese that's been translated. So that's been an interesting experience to me because I got an English minor in undergrad. And so I'm very used to certain kinds of florid English prose versus translated prose is always very different. Mm. And it's a different experience to read. But the concept of Before the Coffee Gets Cold is it tells the story of a coffee shop where if you follow all the rules, you can go back in time, but only as long as the coffee takes to get cold. Hmm. And so it follows various people who come to this shop in order to do something in the past. Wow. And it's really cool. Great. <laughs> and then just to, to close us out, I, are there any little bits of wisdom or advice you'd like to offer to any, any current Peabody students? I would say to not be afraid and to talk to people, be that via email or via in person, whatever is your communication style that you prefer. Um, because you can get you can get a long way just by making yourself known. And on top of that, I think I think actually Christina asked me this in ref in regards to internships, but I think it applies to students in general. But I had said to to work hard and to not be uh, to be open to any experiences that you might encounter, because an internship is a place where you can make mistakes. And it's a place where you can try. It's a playground. Like you're not going to get fired. <laughs> you're not going to lose your salary and your rent if you're going to from an internship. So try things and work really hard at them. See what works for you. See what, see what doesn't work for you. And I would say in, that applies to students as a whole because in many ways, school is also a testing ground. Yeah, 100%. I Love that bit about like find your own communication style. I think it, it's so much one thing, right, to, to tell, to advise, to like, oh, well, just communicate, just network. But part of that is also figuring out how to network and yes. what works for you. Just like how to practice is so individual exactly. for people. And just, you know, trying all sorts of things. I guess, I guess the advice would be more so than talking to people is just to try new things. Um, <laughs> Because talking to people is very vague, and also everyone says it. <laughs> <laughs> Try new things. Yeah. Fantastic. Mira, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. This has been really fun. Thank you for having me. Closing out the episode, here's a recording of Mira from an upcoming release with Ensemble Magdalena. You can check them out at www.magdalena-ensemble.com. Oh,